Welcome back to all my dear deluded dissidents and wayward western friends. It is your friendly foreign agent here to deliver you with your favorite flavor and propaganda. And wow, have, have I got a selection for you today. We'll start off with some of the updates coming out of the Donbass region and the military situation. Move on to some politics. We've got a juicy topic with Sergei Lavrov and Israel to get to. And then we'll finish on uh, a little bit of a tinfoil hat one. Uh, that's in the mainstream Russian media being reported today, so stick around to the end. But first story, uh, we have the reports that the Russian aerospace forces, have, they say in this headline, a massive blow to the territory of Ukraine. Uh, I received reports last night on Telegram that this was a whole country-wide attack. Here it claims that on the night of the 28th, Russia delivered a massive blow across the entire territory of Ukraine. Explosions occurred in the Poltava region, in Krivoyoroch, Kiev, Kiev region, Dnipropetrovsk, Nikolaev, and Cherkaski region. And it says that a few hours before them, Russian Tu-95 and Tu-22 bombers took to the skies. I think the point of this article, and stressing that the aircraft uh, were employed, is to highlight this uh, lack of effective anti-aircraft cover uh, that Ukraine uh, currently has now after it's all been depleted, which is uh, kind of consistent with these Pentagon papers, whether you believe them or not. Uh, as with uh, most of the most effective lies, they are often based on uh, a fact in some level and form or half-truths in that regard. There have been also more attacks the other way against uh, the people of Donetsk. Here in uh, Russia today, it says five shells from Ukraine hit the building of the Republican Trauma Center in Donetsk. Uh, five hits were on this, when they say trauma center, I believe this is a medical center slash hospital. It also goes on to say the mayor of Donetsk, Aletsky Kolumzin, said that according to preliminary data, seven people were killed as a result of a projectile that hit a minibus. TASS has more information on this where they go on to also state that eight more were injured, uh, according to the mayor there. Uh, some more attacks by Ukraine on civilian centers, which I always find baffling given would this woefully uh, lacking ammunition not be better spent for military purposes. But of course, we all know that war comes in various forms. And this is, of course, being the psychological variety. And talking of psychological, here's a curious report here that jumped out at me because I've seen a string of these lately. Vucic denied reports of a deterioration in health, this Serbian president here. And it was allegedly reported by the news portal B92, who reported that the president was urgently hospitalized. Uh, he claims, I'm fine today at 12. I'm going on a trip to Serbia. Now, we're all very familiar with the Vladimir Putin health declines, the heart attacks of Sergei Shoigu. But lately, I've seen the same said about Erdogan, President Erdogan. Something about, was it stomach flu and this, and then later denials that it was a serious issue or anything like this. But now, especially the targets of these rumors, usually hostile to the West. Uh, I, I just thought that a curious little thing to note there uh, about these diplomats, world leaders or country leaders uh, that are kind of targeted by these health rumors quite what they achieve or whether they're supposed to i don't know undermine public confidence in these figures possibly that uh, i'm open to your comments and interpretation there as to why now suddenly vucic what about orban will he be next to be the one or is it even a warning 
from uh, the old CIA that uh, don't drink any cups of tea or anything like that if you catch my drift. Talking of diplomats, uh, a couple of days ago, in fact, three days ago, the UN, this UN Security Council meeting was held, uh, but it was reported on the 26th about this spat between Israel and Lavrov. And this, I, I feel, is quite a key um, signal and indication in the certainly geopolitical and diplomatic fields. And let's let's get into what is actually an Israeli site published in Russian. Uh, the, as this translators Messiah, uh, what's what's that Moshak? Moshiach, uh, dot ru. So if I just take off translation, just a minute, just to show you, this is a website with a dot ru extension written in Russian, so clearly targeting a Russian audience. If I just flick back to the English translation, uh, let's get into this little overview. I've highlighted some points here. Israeli protest at the UN or Gilead Erdan did the right thing. Despite protests from the Israeli representative, the meeting continued after Erdan left the room. And Lavrov lied to reporters that it was not an anti-Israeli meeting. Let's go into why we're getting some of this spin. It says how the meeting was organized by Russia, whose diplomats wanted to accuse Israel of alleged crimes in Judea and Samaria. Israel's ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, was extremely blunt about the fact that, firstly, the discussion takes place during morning days, and secondly, it is clearly anti-Israel in nature. Well... (laughs) That all sounds very defensive, uh, doesn't it? That's okay, anti-Israel. Uh, let's get into some more details, although I will highlight one fact. Uh, I said it was an Israeli website. If you head over to their contact us page, yeah, sure enough, uh, this is a website that is um, headquartered in Israel. And yet I think it's important to note that it is a Russian extension written in Russia. Let's, let's get over to uh, this Russian overview and see what the Russians have to say about this. So uh, the Israeli representative stormed off stormed out he didn't like uh, what was said uh, sergey lavrov stressed that it was arranged beforehand the agenda was agreed beforehand so there was no sort of ambush per se uh, you know what russia wanted to discuss on this uh, but the result of this has been um, some resolutions it claims here that from now on moscow will speak to the west only in the language of national interests There will be no more concessions, neither will Western vassals like Ukraine. But for those who really need it, we will help. Uh, Do forgive the translation. So here is where it says, on April 25th, the Russian foreign minister chaired a meeting at the UN Security Council on the situation in the Middle East. Lavrov also met and held talks with colleagues from Arab countries and gave a big press conference at which, in fact, he summed up the results of the visit. He did not meet with the foreign ministers of Western countries. However, such meetings were not planned. As Sergei Ryabkov, deputy head of the Russian foreign ministry, who accompanied the minister, said on this occasion, there is, quote, nothing to talk about with them. Uh, if we go here, so why did the Middle East arise and why does, <laughs> what does Ukraine have to do with it? Russia initiated a meeting at the UN Security Council on the situation in the Middle East for a reason. Uh, This article says it was a subtle and calculated move in a hybrid war with the collective West. At a meeting with the Security Council under his chairmanship, Lavrov pointed out that US and EU countries grossly speculating on the topic of Ukraine are diverting the attention of the world community from the problems of the Middle East. They give vent to double standards and their colonial instincts covering Israel and criticizing Russia. 
This is what was meant to seize, for example, the Golan Heights from Syria under the pretext of ensuring the security of Israel is normal and completely unpunishable, but to cut a land corridor to Crimea blocked by Ukraine and deprived of the Dnieper waters is aggression and a reason for the toughest sanctions in the world. So we can see why someone might throw their toys out of their pram and storm off. The Israeli double standards with their actions in Palestine. Uh, the key point that we'll go on to here is that it wasn't in fact one-sided. Sergei Lavrov, being uh, the excellent diplomat that he is, was also um, clear that Palestine or the militants and the actions that have gone on there are also contributing to the situation. But you can already detect why the Israeli representative, in my opinion, got really hurt about this and decided not even to engage, not even to try and defend Israel's double standards and hypocrisy when they're supporting Kiev and even supplying weapons, uh, but also accepting large numbers of uh, Russians that have fled and give them passports. Let's go into some more of these details because it really is classic Lavrov style where he just goes for the jugular and lays down the facts. Showing his former partners that Russia sees and understands everything, Lavrov demanded that the West report to the UN General Assembly for the Security Council resolutions it sabotaged in the Middle East. Quote, among such resolutions that were sabotaged by the West are decisions on Palestine, on the Golan Heights, Western Sahara, the Kosovo settlement, the Iranian nuclear program, and, of course, the Minsk agreements regarding Ukraine. Uh, Lavrov recalled, don't be afraid, act. He accuses uh, Antonio Guterres as being basically a Western shill. It's a long article, so I'm going to try and keep this as brief as I can. And here we have this quote here, who is more to blame? We call on Israelis and Palestinians to stop all unilateral actions that jeopardize the possibility of realizing the two-state formula, including terrorist and other armed attacks, incitement to aggression, disproportionate use of force by any side, misconduct in connection with the issue of settlements, and of course, attempts to change the status quo of Jerusalem. What I find refreshing is actually going straight to the point of these. I didn't see any mention of Israel targeting and killing journalists, something Secretary of State Anthony Blinken uh, wishy-washied his way past when he was directly uh, challenged on this. How is the US going to hold Israel to account for these actions, which are pretty demonstrable and provable uh, with these specific and very bloody attacks against journalists who we're told are protected by the countries that value freedom of speech but anything but and and clearly israel being one of those perpetrators it, but the article does go on uh, uh, for the most part the latter are the blame for this when he says israel there but so are the palestinians as you can see russia unlike the west which do not see any sins point blank behind ukraine is objective Interestingly, helping the Kiev regime, Tel Aviv probably thought that Moscow would keep quiet about its affairs in the Middle East. But Israel, especially in the current situation, can be presented with a lot of other claims. For example, providing asylum to all sorts of Pugalkin, I think that's a Russian translated word, and our swindlers with Israeli passports. But our minister, who in Israel is painted as an anti-Semite for his honesty, did not talk about this. Although there are probably cards up his sleeve. Do you recall the spat recently where Sergei Lavrov 
uh, was called upon by Israel to apologize for talking about facts. I believe it was related to the Holocaust, you know, which is a touchy subject there. But Sergei Lavrov talking about facts was then then demanded to apologize. So this isn't the first time that this anti-Semite card has been played against Sergei Lavrov uh, for the crime of pointing out this hypocrisy. If we go on further down the article to this issue with Ukraine, uh, there is a key line here that said, when will there be peace in Ukraine? And Lavrov revealed when peace will come to Ukraine. Of course, he did not name the exact date. There is no schedule for the Ukrainian settlement, but he outlined the necessary prerequisites for this. First, it will happen when, quote, the security of our country end quote, is ensured. Secondly, when in Ukraine they stop discriminating and exterminating, including physically, Russians. Uh, the head of the foreign ministry stressed that the peace will not come until Ukraine. And this is thirdly, will continue repression and persecution against cano- uh, canonical uh, orthodoxy. So pointing out there this recent action by the Ukrainian authorities in trying to evict uh, both arresting and torturing Orthodox priests uh, in there. So this, what I've I've dubbed sort of the uh, war on God. And then lastly, again, this, you know, the classic with Lavrov, it'll take uh, a lot of time to actually go through all the key nuggets of truth there and good points that he makes. But there was another point where he talks about de-dollarization. Uh, in the quotes here, de-dollarization cannot be stopped. The head of the Russian foreign ministry stated that the transition to settlements in national currencies bypassing the dollar, the emergence of digital currencies, can no longer be stopped. This process, Lavrov pointed out, was launched by the Americans themselves. There is no reverse. The big question is what will happen next with the international monetary financial system, including with the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. He goes on then to talk about uh, Afghanistan and Sudan, but I think I'll leave it there and I'll include a link to this article in the description uh, for you to translate and go through yourself. I believe it's well worth a read and I haven't done it justice there by skipping through those key points. But uh, what appeared to be quite uh, an important meeting uh, chaired by Sergei Lavrov at the UN Security Council, I think you'll agree. But uh, let's move on uh, to now Dmitry Medvedev. Uh, who claims that there is no such country anymore. Medvedev reacted to the ban on visiting Moldova. Uh, Deputy Chairman of the Security Council of Russia, Medvedev, accused the Moldovan authorities of selling the Republic of Romania. Uh, quote, a mysterious creature named Rechan reported that neither the president of Russia nor Russian officials would be able to enter his country, Moldova. Well, firstly, no one is going there now, maybe somehow later. And secondly, there is no such country anymore, uh, the politician said in an entry on the Telegram channel. According to him, the local chiefs sold it to Romania. Therefore, according, according to Medvedev, there is no point in talking with them. Quote, let the people deal with them. And that, I think, was a really key and interesting line. He's actually said this before, I believe, when talking about uh, the Western populations. I know President Putin did. We're talking about the onus now is on the people to start making these changes. They can't just sit back uh, and allow these elites that don't represent their interests if they do truly want change. Now, I'll let you comment on that. But I, I agree with them to a point there. But I thought it was quite interesting that Medvedev there made a dig some would say in the West, perhaps fermenting unrest in these countries. 
But I think their their own governments do that quite successfully enough themselves without the help of Dmitry Medvedev. I talked recently about uh, oil and gas exports to China, uh, either equaling or soon to surpass the market that Russia had to Europe. Uh, We also now have reported today that uh, an analyst has announced the return of Russian oil to Europe thanks to India. So reported at midday today at the time of recording, according to Bloomberg, India increased purchases of Russian oil and supplies of petroleum products to Europe. In April, oil imports from Russia to India will reach a record 2 million barrels per day, and New Delhi will become the largest supplier of petroleum products to Europe. This is Kepler, (coughs) the analyst, I believe. Sanctions do not prohibit the purchase of raw materials and processing into diesel fuel. Uh, We've also had some articles recently of India kind of uh, sitting on the fence by buying both Russian weaponry and Western weaponry. For me, I found that a a little bit confusing, given, as uh, Scott Ritter's talked about, with the sort of mishmash of of weaponry in Ukraine, the difficulties with logistics and how that will work. But what I read into that with India is India is kind of placating both sides. They do clearly want to maintain their relations with Russia, but don't yet want to incur the wrath of Victoria Newland and have her dishing out cookies in their country. But uh, that's an aside. Here we see... Uh, India is profiting uh, from this with its relations to Russia, and it benefits both parties. I thought it was something worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Keeping on the theme of economy, particularly with Russia, uh, it's worth noting that the central bank has kept the key rate at 7.5% per annum, and this is the fifth time in the row. One of the uh, key things I feel highlighted here is that Rio Novosti polled analysts and they expected the rate to remain unchanged. But it's here in this line, in their opinion, despite the slowdown in the growth of prices across the country, some pro-inflationary factors, including the weakening of the ruble, did not fully manifest themselves. So the uh, central bank there doesn't see a need to either cut further or increase, whereas in the West we're now seeing what are almost, whilst they're incremental their knock-on effect is now having this sort of domino roll through the economy that's proving to be potentially cataclysmic. Now, the last story I have for you today um, gave me a wry smile on my face for a couple of reasons. Let me just show you this article here. Now, this isn't necessarily mainstream, but it was syndicated in uh, one of the big news syndicators here in, in Volta.media. It says here, KP informed about the principle of operation of the most destructive weapon in the world, Harp USA. A lot of you guys already know where I'm going with this. A lot of you guys have uh, commented uh, about specifically regarding this earthquake uh, that happened recently in Turkey and Syria uh, and around there claiming that it was a man-made event. I've heard of Harp going back years now, um, at least. 10 years, I'd say, when it first blipped on my radar. Uh, But to see this now, sort of in the open, I found quite, um, well, it took me back a little bit because previously this has just been tinfoil hat domain. But I guess with conspiracy theories now being uh, proven 
to be ahead of the mainstream media and ahead of the game in many regards. I don't know. Is this another thing that's uh, popping to the forefront? Let's let's have a look at what they say. Uh, since 2010, scientists have repeatedly recorded various kinds of anomalies. These are snowfall, flooding, fires, high air temperatures. Uh, this is reported by Komsomolskaya Pravda. Also in 2010, the schedule for the harp station from Norway was made public which heats up the electrical layers of the atmosphere. Experts from different countries suggest that it was precisely because of the propagation of radio waves by the harp system that various cataclysms arose in the world. So now, this article actually goes into quite a lot of detail, so I do hope you can translate this using your browser. <clears throat> um, here is the, the top of it. I'm not going to go through it all, uh, but it's entitled here, Man-made Armageddon, how the most destructive weapon in the world works. Modern science has a powerful influence on the weather, it claims. Now, if we go down, uh, then it talks about um, various uh, incidents here. This talks about Rostov on Don, of these anomalies. Uh, forests are burning. Uh, and I was that ionospheric station in Tromsø, Norway, was still publishing its timetable. This setup was akin to the infamous HARP project in Alaska. Warms up electrical layers of the universe with powerful radio waves. Universe. Atmosphere. It can be seen from the schedule. The station is working, not stopping. The thought was born by itself. Wasn't it her stormy activity that caused the abnormal drought? Now, I'm not going to go through this entire article, and I think many of you, if you are aware of this already, already know most of it. And those of you who haven't heard of it, well, go on a Google journey. It's it's fascinating and inter interesting. But the other thing that occurred to me was if we play the propaganda game, is this now also a way for Russian media to make out the US as the big bad guy uh, you know, even influencing the weather, the sort of thing that, of course, the Soviets were accused of back in the Cold War. So I can't help seeing or feeling that there are certain themes and maybe there's certain stories that are being sort of dredged up or um, brought to the fore now because it suits an agenda or serves a purpose. These two stories, I'm not going to comment any further on it. I'm absolutely fascinated to hear what you guys have to say about this, about whether there there is um, justification here of the Russians now seemingly highlighting this heart project and other secret stuff uh, from the Pentagon and the US. That's about a wrap, however, of all that I've got for you today. I wish you a wonderful weekend. I will see you next week and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you ever so much for all the support from you guys on Locals, Patreon and of course now on Buy Me A Coffee where many of you have bought myself and uh, Marsha, coffees and beers. Thank you very much indeed for that. It truly helps and uh, keeps us going and keeps us doing what we're doing. So all the best to you. I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.